Well, this morning, I am honored to get to share with you with Pastor Scott being gone. And I will not hold it against you if none of you talk to me this next week because you heard my voice so much today that you just can't hear it again. I totally get it, and that's okay. But I'm honored to get to share the Word of God with you today, and, and that truly is my prayer, Holy Spirit, that He would come and just, just move. Just move, that His words would come forth. So uh, as we get into it this morning, the passage we read, and a little further that we'll go, it's actually Matthew 15, 1 through 20 is what we'll be preaching on today. And as we look at this passage, we see Jesus speaking boldly to teach and correct as he challenges these Pharisees. And we saw that in what we read today on their traditions and the weight that they give them. And in that second half that we didn't read but we'll bump into, we see Jesus working to correct the understanding of the people and to direct their hearts back to their need for a Savior. It's a great passage, so let's dive right in. So if you got your Bibles with me, we're going to start just at the first two verses. Matthew 15, 1 and 2. It says, Then the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And as we jump into this, we, we see them talking about the traditions of the elders. And so for just a moment, I want us to talk about this idea of traditions and what that really is, what that looks like, what that means, because traditions aren't necessarily bad. We all have traditions in our lives, within our families, and, and uh, in things that we celebrate, be it within our family, within our own life, perhaps even within our jobs. As a matter of fact, the teacher in me is coming out for just a minute. Why don't you turn to your neighbor? And share with them just a moment, maybe a tradition or two that you have within your family and kind of what that makes you think about. All right, I'll give you guys 30 seconds. One or two things. All right, five more seconds. Awesome. Now, here's the next part. Is anybody brave enough to share what they shared? Or just tell on your neighbor. That's fine, too. Anyone? I didn't prompt anybody, so this was a chance I was taking. You mind talking here so the people online can hear you, too? That's okay. Just ten seconds tradition and maybe what you learned from it. Ten seconds. What the tradition is, and then kind of what what it means. Whatever you guys, what you guys talked about. What tradition do you have? Well, I have a tradition of um, being so blessed to be a part of this church for a very long time, and it only gets better and better. And I encourage everybody to pray and return and thank you guys for all that's here. Awesome, cool. So tradition of just being here, this thing that is practiced again and again. Anybody else? <coughs> okay, we've got ooh, two hands. That's even better. The teacher's dream. <laughs> I'll stand over here next to you. Um, I have my kids uh, every other week, and when they're with me, when they first come over, we have this big map in the garage, and we each of us throw darts at the map, and wherever it hits, um, we look up the cuisine from that region, and we learn how to cook from that. 
cool. So Very that's cool. a tradition we have. Yeah, what a fun tradition. Yeah, so one takes a main dish, one takes appetizers, desserts. Uh, we've been all around the world. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Yum. Yeah. Yes, sir. Good morning. Um, my wife and I, Victoria, have a tradition where since our daughter, my stepdaughter, her daughter uh, has gotten married, she has two babies now, a boy and a girl. So she has a family that lives in uh, Boston, Virginia. So it's in the southeast. It's considered the south. It's a former plantation. So every December now, we've been going out there and celebrating Christmas with this family. And most of us are Christians, but there's a few we're working on, and you can kind of see where they're. So I think over time, you know, the joy of celebrating Christ's birth at Christmas mm -hmm. is awesome, but also to be able to witness to family members and perhaps lead them to Christ Amen. is part of that process as well. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so these traditions that we have, these things that we practice continually to remind us of something, to, to share Christ and to have the tradition of being there every year, to, to experience new cuisine as a family and to, to have that time, which for us, I'm sure it's even more important, the time cooking the meal together than it is and the eating together. It doesn't matter where that dart lands. Right? But the time that you spend together as a family, learning and growing. We have a tradition in our household that began with my parents, and Aaron and I now carry through to our kids around Christmas time. And that uh, in that Christmas morning, the first thing we do for the adults is coffee, but for everybody else, uh, the first thing we do is we, we all come together, we sit on the couch, and the kids read out of Luke the Christmas story. And a tradition that we have in our household just to keep our minds and our focus on Christ. And the reason that we have gathered and that we celebrate that Christmas morning. We have traditions here in the church, right? We've got the chili cook-off. We've got the uh, church picnic and the great kickball game. It's a little crazy, a little competitive, but we have a lot of fun and we love each other. For the most part, and afterwards, we really do. The bowling, the baptisms at Lynx Lake. That's okay. Well, that was weird. <coughs> we'll leave that right there, just in case. So we have these traditions, right? These things that we hold on to, these, um, these things, that, and they serve a purpose in our lives. They serve a purpose to, 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 to bring us back to family, to worship together, to remind us and to keep our focus on particular things. And as I think about traditions, and as I was thinking about the, as they shared in the tradition of the elders, and, and we're going to come into that a little bit more, um, something you guys probably don't know about me is that I, I love musicals. I love going to the theater and being in the theaters and seeing musicals. I love seeing them on the screen. I love being in musicals and performing in musicals. I just love musicals. And so when I think of traditions, and you maybe, if you like musicals, you're probably thinking the same one I am, this musical called Fiddler on the Roof. Anybody ever seen that? Okay. Tradition. Yes. All right, so the opening song and a big part of this entire show is traditions. It's this Jewish community and the traditions that they have. And this father who walks this tension as his kids even try to break the traditions a little bit, right? So this opening song is traditions. And what I want to do is we're going to show a video clip of just like one minute of the opening song. And then we're going to, it's going to help us kind of go with where we're headed today. So um, here it comes. 
Because of our traditions, we've kept our balance for many, many years. Here in Anatevka, we have traditions for everything. How to sleep, how to eat, how to work. How to wear clothes. For instance, we always keep our heads covered and always wear a little prayer shawl. This shows our constant devotion to God. You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. That's Tevia, and uh, as he gets us started into the show, in this great song of tradition, it's a really fun piece if you ever watch it, but did you catch that last part? Because of our traditions, everyone knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Everyone knows who he is and what God expects him to do. And this brings us back now to where we find Jesus and the elders as they've come to him and they've said, why don't your disciples follow the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. We begin to ponder a moment this idea of traditions and what does that mean? Because you see, just in the words of Tevye, of what God expects us to do, they've taken this tradition of the elders and they've elevated it to a place of doctrine. A tradition turned into a piece of law. And this is where Jesus comes back to them. Because you see, the tradition of the elders, how that came about was, um, was throughout history and throughout time in the oral tradition, Different rabbis, different religious leaders would institute traditions to try and help protect the laws and the commandments that God had put there, right? We think about the Sabbath laws, right? There's lots of Sabbath laws and what constitutes work and what that means. You know, if there's something on your hand, if you hit it more than three times, it's work. If you walk further than a Sabbath journey, which is about three quarters of a mile, it was considered work. Now, the heart behind that was God has given us a commandment and we want to make sure that we're not breaking that. So we're going to put these rules into place or these traditions into place that begin to become elevated into doctrine. And that's where we find ourselves with the washing of the hands. The washing of the hands was actually a command God gave only to the priests in Exodus 30, that they were to wash their hands and their feet before they went to the tent of meeting, came near the altar, or offered a sacrifice. Now, to better understand this and where they're coming from, though, um, think just a moment for the Jewish understanding of being unclean in this idea. Because the understanding was that unclean was, was kind of contagious. Okay? If, if you touched something that was unclean, then your hand was unclean. 
And so as you went throughout the day, there was most definitely, or at least most likely, a high probability, it's going to probably happen, that you would touch something that was unclean. And the idea was, if I touched something that was unclean, and I then came to the table to eat the bread, and I touched the bread, that now then became unclean, and then I ate the bread, then I now became unclean. And so this is a tradition of the elders that they said not only the priest, but everybody needs to have this uh, a ceremonial hand washing that wasn't about removing dirt. You know, growing up or even now, kids come in and like, go wash your hands. You see yourself? You're filthy, right? And they go in and six pounds of dirt come off their hands and the sink is black and the soap and it's everywhere. And, but our hands are clean for dinner, right? That's not what this was about. Matter of fact, soap was not even a part of the ritual. The cleansing was, you would, they would take a, a, an amount of water and, and, and starting always washing the dominant hand first, whether that was the right hand or the left hand, and allowing the water to come down just past the wrists, two to three times that they would pour the water over. And then as they finished washing their hands, there was a blessing that was recited, and then you went straight from there to the table to make sure you didn't touch anything else prior to arriving for the blessing of the meal. And now the Pharisees have come to this place because they're trying to actually discredit Jesus as a religious leader. They're not happy with what he's teaching and what he's doing. And so they see this as their opportunity to discredit him because if his disciples are not participating in this ritual, participating in this tradition of the elders, then he as their leader, as their rabbi, must be teaching them to break traditions. He must be the one who instructed them not to wash. Therefore, we can now discredit him as a leader because he's not following the traditions of the elders and he's leading them astray with his teaching. And they think they got him. They think they got him. Why do your disciples not follow the tradition of the elders? And again, as we think of Tevye, the problem here is that it had been elevated to a place of law, not tradition. Matter of fact, one, one leader went so far as to say, if you don't wash your hands prior to the meal, it's the same as being with a prostitute. If you don't wash your hands before the meal, it is punishable by death. If you speak poorly against this tradition then you could be uprooted from the earth. And they had elevated it to this place of doctrine and law rather than tradition. What God expects you to do. Now, as we think about this for ourselves, traditions in worship are a part. Right? We have traditions in our worship. We have some traditions even here not to mention the ones that we talked about earlier, but even just kind of how we run our service, right? We read the scriptures together. We sing together. We have the word together. We have traditions of communion, generally on the third Sunday of every month. And these are things, practices that we have as a church body, even here, that we do on a consistent basis as we fix our eyes on Christ and come to worship together. Those aren't bad. Where we run into trouble is when we ourselves take those traditions and make them a requirement for worship, right? 
I, I know for me growing up, uh, you guys probably heard the term quiet time, right? And quiet time growing up was, was like, this is how you do it, right? There is a set way to have a quiet time that you must get away to a quiet place. You need to read uh, a chapter or some verses. You need to spend time in prayer. You need to spend some time uh, reflecting and journaling and listening. And here's the steps that you have to take. And if you don't do those things, you're probably not doing it right. And you're probably not getting out of it all that you should. Right? And, and so for even me as a young believer, thinking through that and going, oh, can, I, can, I, can I meet the standard? Am I doing it right? Did I, did I do it well? When really it's about what? The quality time spent with the Father. And so for even in my own mindset, I don't do quiet times anymore. I do quality times just to set my own mind in that place. Because sometimes for me, that looks like grabbing the piano or the guitar and spending time just in worship. Sometimes it's, it's going for a hike and, and I love nature and I love seeing God in all of creation. And spending that time with the Father in prayer or sitting out under the stars and marveling at the God who put each one in place. Or driving in my car and just spending that time in prayer or in worship. And other times, yes, sitting quietly with the Lord in his word and meditating on it and spending that time. But to break that tradition a little bit, but it doesn't always look that way. For some people, the tradition is music, right? It's like the taboo thing to talk about. Some would say the only way to do it is contemporary music. You have to have contemporary music. Hymns are, 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 are not relevant anymore. They were for a long time ago. And then there's others who say that contemporary stuff is for the birds. The only way to do it is to have hymns. And both sides are wrong, right? <coughs> it's a tradition. It's a desire. It's a, a, it's a preference. I can prefer the hymns, right? Or I can prefer the contemporary, but man, when I sing those truths about God, either one is powerful. And there's these traditions that people sometimes choose to hold on to much stronger than they have to, much stronger than they should. And so as we think about that, and this that they brought now to Jesus, he responds, but as our Savior is so good to do, he brings it right back. He tries to help them see <coughs> what's going on in their own mind in this accusation. Picking up in verse 3, he answered them. He said, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of tradition? They said, why do you break the tradition? He says, well, why do you break actually God's law for the sake of your traditions? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if he tells his father or mother, what you would have gained for me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made... Seriously? We're switching. Because that's just silly. You have made void the word of God. Now, the tradition that Jesus is speaking about here is called Corbin, okay? And Corbin was a tradition that said, I will dedicate these, my finances, I will dedicate this portion uh, of my finances, of, of what I have, to God. They didn't have to give it to God at that particular moment, but they had dedicated it to it. And so the loophole that they had found or that they had created in the law was if I say, Corbin, 
for these things and my mother or father who I am to honor and support comes and says, we need this, we need help with, and we can, I can say, oh, sorry. That what I was going to give to you or I would have used to help you is Corbin. So I don't have to now. And Jesus said, why do you break the commandment to honor your father and mother to uphold the tradition of men? He brings it right back on them and calls them out for something that they had developed. And that those finances eventually would end up supporting them as religious leaders, right? It's Corbin. It's for God. It's to the temple. He says, you ask me why my disciples don't want to pull a tradition. You're breaking the commandments, the laws of God for the sake and under the justification of your own tradition. And then he jumps in to the prophecy. You hypocrites. You hypocrites. Do you not see what you are doing? Well did Isaiah prophesy about you. This people honors me with their lips, the things they say, the things they do, but their heart is far from me. Mm. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. Could you imagine being one of those Pharisees in that moment? You say spiritual things, you follow your traditions, and on the outside you look holy, set apart, but your heart is far from God. Your worship's in vain because you're teaching man's ideas and commandments. I don't know. Oh, it came back. <laughs> just when I started talking loud. All right, we're just going to see what happens. <sighs> All right, anyways. So, you teach these things as doctrine. Let's move on, because this may not last. This thing may not last very long. Okay, so then, now Jesus, knowing that there are others here seeing and hearing this interaction and, and wondering about this, turns to the people. Picking up in verse 10, it says, And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear this and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. And we're going to come back to this in just a minute when we get to verse 12 and the disciples ask for clarification. But he puts that out there for the people after what they've just heard. And this idea of not washing their hands and, and these traditions and things. And he puts it out there for them to consider. And then he says, think about this. It's not the physical. It's not the things that you put into your mouth that defile you, but the things that come out. Ponder it. And he leaves it there with the people. But after that interaction, picking up in verse 12, the disciples come to him. Because they're concerned that the religious leaders were offended. Mm -hmm. Go figure. By what Jesus said to them. 
Right? He said, so pick up verse 12. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered them, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. As I read this answer and, and think about it, I, I get this feeling of Jesus saying, good, let them be offended. Because they're wrong. He says it way better than that. And then he says, every plant not planted by God will be uprooted. In other words, these things that the Pharisees are treating as God's law, these things that they're holding up in this place that God has not put there will be removed. And leave them alone because they're spiritually blind. They're missing the point. Let's offend the sin in their life so they can evaluate it and see their need for a Savior. When the blind were guiding and they are blind to God's truth, their spiritual eyes don't work. Something's got to snap them out of it, hopefully. And when I think about the, the Pharisees being offended at Jesus' response, my heart actually breaks for those Pharisees. It breaks for those Pharisees. That they are so entrenched, so focused, so worried on these things they've been taught to uphold, that they miss the Savior standing right in front of them and the word of God being spoken. But I begin to think for a moment about being offended and about offenses. It's never fun, but it can often be profitable. And just ponder with me for a moment on the idea of offense. Ponder with me on a moment the idea of being offended. Those Pharisees were there and they were offended by what was said. And when you are offended, if you will take a moment to think, why? Why was I offended by that? What is it that rose up those emotions within me for the Pharisees to take a moment and to ponder what was being said? And we ourselves can do the same. And perhaps when we are offended, we look at it and we say, you know what? I was offended because that was in direct defiance to God's word and truth. And so I'm going to remain offended and I'm going to stand for his truth. But at the same time, I may look at it and say, I was offended because it actually came against me. I was offended because it came against an idea that I had or a, um, a tradition that I want to keep or perhaps a sin that has crept in. And in those moments, I can come to the Father and say, Lord, teach me in the midst of this offense. Help me to learn and to grow. Show me what you are doing with this. And if it needs to be removed, remove it. And if there needs to be forgiveness, let me give it or let me receive it. And Holy Spirit, come and fill that with your presence with the truth of God. Offense and being offended is not necessarily a bad thing. Good. Let them be offended. Offend the sin within them. Those Pharisees might open their eyes to the truth. 
And so I just ponder that idea of offense and Jesus' response there and how he knows that they're blind. Because in their offense, they never looked beyond their tradition. And when the spiritually blind lead others who are spiritually blind, they will fall together into the pit. And as I think about even that piece, this is, uh, I think about, again, bringing the, the word of God back into our lives and for today. We all have spiritual authorities that we allow into our lives. Be it the church that you attend, the sermons that you hear, the podcast that you like to listen to, the devotion that you like to read, the um, whatever that might be, those are places of spiritual authority that you've allowed them to be speaking into you, right? Declaring the word of God. And so I want to encourage you and myself to that we bring all of those spiritual authorities back to the word of God and that we compare them and we reconcile them to the word of God. And if they are not proclaiming his truth, then we need to consider that authority Perhaps it needs to be put aside. That it needs to come back and line up with the word of God. Spiritual authority is necessary in our lives. It's a part of the church. It's a part of learning. It's a part of growing. God has put it there for a purpose. And we must be wise. And consider of those that we allow to be spiritual authorities in our lives. The blind leading the blind, they will fall into the pit. And let's jump back here now as we get back to the idea that Jesus began in 10 and 11. Is Peter asked for the clarification on the parable, picking up there in verse 15 if you have your Bibles. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witnesses, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. What you eat is physical. It goes into your mouth, in your stomach, and out into the sewers. But what comes out of your mouth is from your heart, your words, your actions, your deeds, your motivations, your intentions, and that is what defiles a person. Because that is what reflects the spiritual condition of their heart. Other places in the scripture, it's put as they will be known by their fruit. Right? He says it's not what goes in that, right, that defiles, it's what comes out. Because that's what lets you know what's there. So the Greek word that, we're using, that Jesus uses here for heart is cardia. You may recognize that. Cardio, cardiac. It's where the English language pulls this word from. And cardia can literally mean the physical heart, the central piece of man. But in scripture, and when Jesus uses it here, most often it is considered the center of who man is. The seed of intellectual and spiritual life, the inner life, in opposition to the external appearance, the cardia. It's kind of a cool word. When you get that imagery a little bit of, of, of of what he's saying there in the center of their spiritual life. And really the cardia of man is in one of two places, right? Ever since the fall, the cardia of man is either enslaved to sin, a reconciled, redeemed, and enslaved to Christ. And these are the two places that we find the cardia. 
And Jesus was saying to those Pharisees and now his disciples, the Pharisees have all this knowledge about God. They do all these physical things to appear holy, but their heart, their cardia, their spirit is far from God. They worship in vain because their hearts are evil and they equate holiness as being above others into the physical things that they do. They take their ideas and their traditions as doctrine and as God's commands and they think it will make them holy. Friends, we know as we read in Ephesians, right? It is by grace through faith that you have been saved, not of works. Not by the works that are being done, but by the work that has been done through Jesus Christ on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.17, right? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's right. The old passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We think about that, a new creation. Does that mean when I accept Jesus Christ, I'm six inches taller, 50 pounds lighter, and I have blonde hair? No. Not this physical new creation, but a new cardia. As Ezekiel said it, as God said it there, I will take their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. A new creation, a new cardia that is no longer bound to sin, but is set free from the bondage of sin and is redeemed and reconciled unto the Father. Hmm. And I've talked about it before, and, and so forgive me if you're like, Oscar, you talk about this all the time, but I think about it a lot, um, particularly as I work with kids and in discipleship and, 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 and educating them and, and trying to, what we say, um, nurture their loves. What is it they truly love? What is it they truly hold to and they value? And that's what we call the 18-inch gap. The 18-inch gap is one of the smallest gaps, but one of the most difficult in all of eternity, in all of history, to bridge. And that 18-inch gap is the gap from your head to your heart. To take that which is known, the knowledge, the understanding, and turn it into belief. <coughs> to turn it into what will change. To take it from the head to the cardia. That 18-inch gap is so, so difficult to bridge sometimes. For these Pharisees, they knew the word of God. They knew the commandments. They knew the traditions of the elders. They knew the law. But this gap was so big. It was so big. For many, too big. For it to move from knowledge and into belief. And perhaps that's where you are today. Been in church and know the Bible, know theology, know the story. Someone starts it, I can finish it. My parents brought me there. I'm here now. My wife brings me. But you've actually never believed it. Never allow God's word to penetrate and reveal your need for a savior. To let you see into the cardia. That it's not what you know, but who you know in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's the first time you've ever heard any of this. And that there's a savior Jesus who died on the cross for you so that you can be set free. Set free from the bondage of sin and be right with God and have a life filled with his hope and promises in good and bad times. Have a place in him in eternity. Maybe you're a believer today. And God has been revealing some things and giving you knowledge of some things in your life. 
that he is working on. He's offended some things that have crept into your life. Because though we are free from the bondage of sin, we are not immune. Right? And perhaps God has been working on something in you. And we've been slow to surrender. Slow to allow that gap to be bridged. Repenting of a sin, forgiving someone, being obedient to a difficult call that he's put in your life. Wherever you find yourself, allow the Father today to help you to bridge that gap. And to give him your hargia this morning. So as we conclude, let's remember these things. Traditions can be good. It can be valuable and something that helps us to keep our focus where it needs to be. When we elevate them to that place of doctrine or law, that's where we get into trouble. If God is working to offend something in us that he is working to uproot in our lives, let us reflect on that. Allow him to do the work and submit ourselves to the work that he is doing. And let us remember our Savior Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. To redeem our heart, our cardia, that we might be reconciled to God. Holy and pure. Righteous and redeemed as sons and daughters of the living God. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the gift of worship. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Thank you for your word. You are good. Your word is true and it is powerful and it is effective. Holy Spirit, as we said in the beginning, come now and take the word and teach us that we may follow you more, we may worship you, that we may glorify you in all that we are and all that we do. We thank you for this morning. We continue in worship. In Jesus' name. Well, now we have the opportunity to uh, continue.